listeners, and welcome to the third episode of the American Future Podcast. We had a bit of a break this time, and now we'll be moving on to our second novel, that being Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Now, if we're going to touch for a moment on my personal feelings, as we did with Ceremony, I have to say that I absolutely adored this novel. This is probably one of the best books I've ever read. Not just one of the most enjoyable, but one of the most interesting to dissect and read very intentionally. Each page, each chapter has... Uh, monologues and rhetoric that speaks to so many different themes, but all so many aspects of just a few themes. The characters all represent something, but not in a purely symbolic, like, Aesop-like way, but just a... They all feel like real people but also within the narrative structure, you can see the role they serve. And we're going to get into that a little bit, especially in this episode, since since we'll be spending two episodes on this book, I think the next episode will focus a bit more on how this book relates to the theme of this podcast, that being the future. But this episode will focus a bit more just on a simple analysis of one of the major themes. Because like I said, there's so much to this book that I feel, frankly, intimidated. I feel a a dizziness of freedom in thinking about how I should try and dissect a book of this magnitude. That being said, I'll do my best. I'll try and simplify it down to one core concept and I'll, I'll discourse on that and then next time I'll tie that into a a moral I suppose so let me read for a sec not from the book itself funny enough but from the blurb on the back when it says that Ralph Ellison's nightmare journey across the racial divide tells unparalleled truths about the nature of bigotry and its effects on the minds of both victims and perpetrators. One thing that I didn't realize about this book until I was a fair bit through was that this was not necessarily a journey of self-discovery, of learning your place in the world where you figure out who you are or you find some great epiphany by the end that leads to some great wholesome victory or a happy ending or anything like that. This is kind of a story about a man going crazy. Not crazy, but getting beaten down and beaten down and beaten down until he gives up. I suppose, and not just gives up, but sees the world in a way that absolutely accommodates his giving up. And we'll get into, I'll explain that in a sec, because 
the whole focus of this book's narrator is trying to find an identity, his own identity, to fill his identity because he realizes that he exists. He's aware of the circumstances he exists in, that being that of a black man living in the South, later in the North, in the United States, in I think the mid-1900s, mid or early. And the task he sets before himself is figuring out what kind of identity he should, what kind of identity, what kind of purpose he should fill this life of his with. And he starts out very idealistically. He's doing things the way the system would want. And the system might make it sound a little too, I suppose, controlling and dystopian. But he's doing things the basic way. He's a good student, a great rhetorician. He's going to school. He wants to work his way up in the system and become a respectable member of society and a leading figure for his race. And through his academic journey, he meets a couple of other older gentlemen who have also found an identity. One of these is a white benefactor of his school named Mr. Norton, who he gets an opportunity to speak with. And on the topic of the school, Mr. Norton says to the protagonist, but as you develop, you must remember that I am dependent upon you to learn my fate. Through you and your fellow students, I become, let us say, 300 teachers, 700 trained mechanics, 800 skilled farmers, and so on. That way I can observe in terms of living personalities to what extent my money, my time, and my hopes have been fruitfully invested. Norton has filled his identity. Like, if we see identity as this bowl you hold in your hands throughout life and defines your life, Mr. Norton has filled that with his work at the academy. He's filled that with all of the students there and the impact that they will bring. He's filled his bowl vicariously with the efforts of those students. And that's one way to fill your identity, is to promote the identities and the effort of others. Another way is a bit more selfish. And we see this in the character of Dr. Bledsoe, the head of the school. He tells our protagonist that you don't exist. Can't you see that? The white folk tell everybody what to think, except men like me. I tell them. That's my life, telling white folk how to think about the things I know about. It's a nasty deal, and I don't always like it myself. But you listen to me, I didn't make it, and I know that I can't change it. But I've made my place in it, and I'll have every negro in the country hanging on tree limbs by morning if it means staying where I am. And then in a moment... I don't even insist that it was worth it, but now I'm here and I mean to stay. After you win the game, you take the prize and you keep it, protect it, 
There's nothing else to do. A man gets old winning his place, son. Bledsoe has had a realization at some point in his life, very similar to the one that our protagonist has, where as far as the world is concerned, you don't exist. And in the grand scheme of history, your existence is really not of any importance. So he focuses on the individual. He's a bit of an opportunist. He takes the power that he can in life, goes as far as he can, as far as chases his ambitions to their natural end, and he is content with that. And he'll live his life, and when it's over, he'll figure that he's lived the best life he can. He could have. He accomplished the most that he could for himself. He established as much of a place in the world as he found possible. Now, through a series of circumstances, our narrator was expelled from his academy. And this was the first defeat of this book, of many. The first time his worldview was shattered by reality. And he had to give up on that route and try and find a new way, a new identity, to fill his bowl with. So he went to New York, he got some jobs, he met another man who was really doing all that he could in life and making the most of what he was given, working in the paint factory. And eventually, our nameless protagonist ends up with a civil rights movement called the Brotherhood. And he, and this is where he finds his second great calling in life. The second major goal to fill his bowl with. And that is the civil rights movement. He finds great success in this organization. He finds that his speaking skills are able to make a great impact on people. And he meets a few other people in this organization that are constructing identities for themselves. The most important thing to keep in mind about everybody within the Brotherhood is that ideologically the organization is opposed to the idea of self-identity in general. This is something the protagonist is exposed to as he gets indoctrinated into their way of seeing the world. They aren't concerned with the individual. They're trying to accomplish something in the world. And that goal is more important than any of the individuals. And all of them sacrifice them, their individual self to be a part of this grand organization that is capable of achieving that goal. And he's content with this for a while. One of the most significant figures in the Brotherhood is a man named Jack, who really embodies so much of the ideals of the organization. He absolutely affirms the leaders of the organization's absolute power over the lower members. He is a cold and scientific thinker, 
who is wholly dedicated to the goals of the organization. And every time the protagonist goes against the organization or even says things that appeal more to the individual or to emotion, Jack is one of the first to shut him down. And Jack is the quintessential... Oh, how to put it? He's the embodiment of this idea of your identity being synonymous with a grander ambition and identity. A group of people more than any one person. You give up your identity to be part of a collective in order to reach a goal. And that's what Jack and so many of the other Brotherhood members do. And that's what the main character does for a while, but he always has this personal ambition that sort of sets him apart and gets him in trouble sometimes. And that's awful similar to another person he meets who has a little more of an emotional side, a little more personal investment. A man named Todd Clifton, who's also, despite those things, still dedicated to the Brotherhood and to what they're doing. And after some personal tribulations, we get to two particular matters which finally break our main character's ambitions regarding his identity. First is Todd Clifton, who, while the narrator is away, gives up on the Brotherhood, gives up on his ambitions, and turns to a very meaningless life of selling what are they, uh, Sambo dolls on the street, something that is very antithetical to not just the Brotherhood, but the entire black empowerment movement. This, along with many other factors, shakes our main character so much that he starts to become disillusioned with the Brotherhood also. He's losing his sense of identity and his confidence in his place in the world. And while he's going through this identity crisis, he goes through a very comedic scene where, because he's running from some other men, he puts on sunglasses, he puts on a hat, and everywhere he goes, he gets dis- mistaken for a man named Reinhardt. And this is one of the most interesting scenes in the book. Reinhardt is one of the most interesting ways to be a character in a book, because he's not a character. He never shows up. But us and the narrator learn a whole lot about him secondhand. And... What we learn about Reinhardt paints him as a very, very contradictory person. He's a religious leader, but also he's a lover to this random woman who accosts our main character. He bribes people. He's a gambler. And this experience, seeing all of these different sides of a person, 
our main character had never even met, finally deconstructs his idea of identity entirely. Because he's been here striving for some grand purpose, one singular identity or way to live his life. And this man, Reinhardt, has been living his life as all of these identities this entire time. And finally, he gives up his journey for identity altogether. And he truly, finally sees himself as an invisible man. Someone without identity, someone who because no one else recognizes his personal identity, he doesn't see any in himself either. And he shuts himself away and lives, has been living his life, let's say, without being seen, just as he really wasn't being seen for himself when he was living among society. So Invisible Man is a story about person trying to find not find construct his identity and find his purpose and he fails and fails and is beaten down by the world until he gives up and he's broken and he sits in a basement unknown to the world spouting off ideologies vague worldviews that justify his behavior and deconstructed all the efforts of everyone on the surface. And the novel ends on a little less depressing of a note than I just made it sound, but that'll be more of a topic for next time. For now, this journey of identity, the way different people have filled it, and the reasons the narrator gave up on it are the main takeaways for this episode. So, thank you for listening. This is our longest so far, and um, I'll see you next time.